We are going to speak to you out of 1 John chapter 4. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We pray you have your hand upon us, Lord, as we look to this text. We thank you for your grace over our life, your protection, and your goodness towards us. And most of all, your faithfulness, Lord, to guide and direct your church. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to 1 John chapter 4, please. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses um, 1 through 3. And the message is entitled, Stop Believing Every Spirit. John has just finished dealing with the assurance of salvation in chapter 3, verse 19 through 24. The first part of verse 24 tells us that God makes himself at home in us and us in him because we keep his commandments. There's been a life transformation in our life. The second part of verse 24 tells us that the evidence of God dwelling in us is that his spirit has been given to us. So this is a transitional verse to introduce the new section of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is the Holy Spirit of God that resides in you and in me that allows us to be able to examine whether what we're hearing is true or not in comparisons to the scripture. It's objective truth. God gives us the Holy Spirit only because we believe in all that the name of Jesus Christ stands for. And the Holy Spirit will illuminate and defend all that that name stands for for he will never speak of himself, and he glorifies Jesus always. He is the third person of the Trinity. We are to live in the light, not in darkness. We're to live in the world, not of the world. We are to live in the spirit of truth, not by the spirit of error. There's been a drastic change in our life. And when you start getting sucked into darkness, you have to examine yourself. John now turns once again to the doctrinal test, but he is looking at it from the viewpoint of the spirit behind the source. He goes behind the individuals to the source of the message. Very, very important. And this will go hand in hand with the documentary tonight. So we try to balance the teaching so that way you get the scriptural aspect and then you see for yourself what's going on in the church heretical. So I would encourage you to come tonight. So John commanded the believer to examine the spirit of all teaching in order to confirm that it is the spirit of God, which is characterized by the three things that he gives to us here in verse 1 through 3. Let me read. Chapter 4, 1 John 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so the command to the believer to examine the spirit of all teaching in order to confirm whether it's the spirit of God is characterized by the following. First, we have the command to test the spirits in verse 1. It's a command. Second, we have the clear test of the spirit in verse 2, and the first part of 3. Then third, you have the confident identity of the Spirit at the end of 3. He begins with the command to test the Spirit. Notice verse 1 there, the imperative command is to seize a practice that was going on at that time, dealing with inspiration. Inspiration is the Spirit of God upon men to speak God's revelation without error. Okay, so this wrong concept was going on. Beloved, do not believe Every spirit. He's talking to Christian. Beloved. The one thing addressed here has to do with deception. It is to the believer. The word beloved agapitos, it means endearment. It's, it's, it's an affection. It's used um, five times in the scriptures. Uh, uh, my little one. Uh, uh, honey. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an endearment term. Uh, the negative command is a, a positive warning um, by reproving them. You as a parent tell that to your children. Now you be careful you don't hang out with Johnny. Now you don't do that because there's no possibility of him getting messed up. John is not talking about something theoretical. He's talking about something that can happen really. There's three groups here. The deceivers, the Gnostics, the Christians who are not being deceived, and Christians who are being deceived. Is that clear? There's three groups here. If Christians cannot be deceived, 
Why write the letter? By the way, he's going to talk about abiding over 29 times. Abide, 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 abide. Abide in Christ, abide in his doctrine. You can't separate the two. See, they were not believing every spirit. I'm sorry, they were not to believe every spirit that is coming from God. The Greek literally says, stop believing every spirit. They were just open. They were receiving. The implication is obvious. Some of them, um, as believers, were believing what the Gnostics were saying that was coming from God. The Gnostics were saying they were prophesying and teaching under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. But it's a lie. They probably even preface it with, thus says the Lord. Because someone says they're speaking for God doesn't mean they are. The way you know that is to judge it to the content, the Bible. The Bible's objective truth. Not based on your emotions, not your feelings, not mysticism. Notice the command is to be discreet in what they believe. But test the spirits whether they are of God. The word but marks the sharp contrast between the practice of some to accept everything as from God and what all believers should be doing, being discreet and discerning. So some people just embrace everything. In the church today, there's so many people that just don't want to make judgments. Well, they're open for deception. The believer on the positive side was to test the spirit. Notice, the word for test there means to prove or examine, this being the only appearance in the, te- in the epistle here. The word is used to prove and to confirm something good in motive uh, or in hope by standing the test, not to condemn, but to approve as genuine. It's used for the proving of metals. Um, notice the believer would discover if the prophets were speaking by the inspiration of God this way. The word they, the prophets, and the source of the Spirit can always be known by examining the content being spoken if it's contrary to Scripture. So you drop the plumb line, the Word of God. If it contradicts it, it's not of God. The Spirit of God does not contradict the written Word of God. Is that clear? All right? He's not the author of confusion. Uh, First Peter chapter, or Second Peter chapter 1, 20-21, the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God. No contradiction. Now notice also the command is accompanied with the reason. He says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The number of false prophets is not a few. Many. This is back at the end of the first century. Okay? Around 90 or so. The Gnostics came into full-blown movement in in the second century. They were already here. First John is written against the Gnostics. The phrase is made up of two words. The word false, which means uh, deceitful. Or um, pseudo is the word. And the word prophet, meaning the person who's inspired by the Spirit of God to give forth revelation. Again, God's the only one that knows the future. He knows the end from the beginning. So he's the one that makes it known to the person. The person relates it, but he has nothing to do with it. He's merely the vessel. Okay? That's inspiration. Now, notice the arena of their practice is in the world. The the word is cosmos in the sense of the inhabited earth who do not know God. You and I used to belong to the cosmos. We lived in it. We lived out of it. We drew from it. We followed and everything else. Cosmos. Those who are not born again. You might be religious. You might have been moral. You might have been whatever. But you weren't born again. When you're born again, you live in this world but not of the world. By the way, cosmos, you get the word cosmetic from it. Bringing things out of order into order. That's where you get the word cosmetic. Okay? From the cosmos. All right? And John uses the word 21 times in the letter uh, for the lifestyle of the world in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, for the oneness of the world in 1 John 4, 1, and for the protection from the world for the Christian in chapter 5, verse 4. And so we live in the world, but not of the world. We're pilgrims and sojourners. Um, These prophets were Gnostics, as I said. They were saying they knew God. They were saying they walk with God. They were saying they were from God, but they were of the world, the spirit of air. There's a lot going on in the church today. We're going to see certain things that are very evident through the progressive movement of this nation from the turn of the last century, from 1900 on, of the progressive movement in education. And it has just destroyed our society. 
So many people say they're Christians, but how you know they're Christian is do they match the scriptures or do they contradict the scriptures? Um, you remember a young prophet God sent to Jeroboam in 1 Kings 13 to the, up to Bethel to the altar where Jeroboam was and, and, um, and Jeroboam's arm withered and then God healed him and he said, oh, why don't you come back with me? No, no, God told me not to return the same way he went on. Then the prophet that was all around there, the son was heard about it and he said, hey, where'd he go? He said, he's over there. Then he went down there. He said, hey, hi, are you a prophet? That prophet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm a prophet too. And an angel of God told me to tell you to come back with me to eat. And he went. And so God judged him when he left. A lion killed him. Didn't even touch his jackass. Demonstrated it was divine judgment. Why would you believe somebody who said an angel told me? Or even if they said God told me if what he tells you contradicts what God told you in the word. The plumb line is the word of God. Some people are very gullible and accepting of um, everything without testing the source. A lot of people like that in the church today. They're uh, unlearned, they're undisciplined, and they live a carnal life. They often believe because signs and wonders are manifested, and so they believe that's the valid credential that God's in it. Really? Nicodemus, in chapter, John, chapter 3 of John, verse 2, said, Jesus, we know you're from God because no man can do these miracles unless uh, God be with them. True? False. The Antichrist is coming. He's going to do miracles. He's from Satan. Miracles are no credentials that is from God. Are we clear on that? The miracle must be according to Scripture. Very, very clear. The false teachers and prophets say many biblical truths, but they're all mixed with horrendous false air. I'm not worried about the 98% of water. I'm worried about that little drop of cyanide. Are we clear on that? I can agree probably 90-95% with most of the stuff that's said over Christian radio. But it's that little bit that's really bad stuff that kills you. When a prophet spoke and it did not come to pass, he spoke presumptuously. Deuteronomy 18.22 said and so in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, Moses commanded that that false prophet was to be sought out, inquired about, make sure that he is teaching contrary to God's word. And the first one there is to put him to death by stoning. Wow. That's what God thinks about false teaching. Now, we don't put anybody to death today. We pray for you. We confront you and we expose you. Okay? We're in the age of grace. But God is serious about false teaching. Make sure you understand what he says. You've got to start in the Old Testament. King Jehoshaphat, remember, hung out with Ahab. And he acquired the prophet to see the outcome of the victory. And God put lying spirit in the prophets. Joseph had nothing, to, no business hanging out with Ahab. Zedekiah, the false prophet, made horns of iron and put them on there and says, that's where you're going to push Syria back in 1 Kings twenty two eleven. 11. Micaiah, he says, there are the prophet around here. Oh, Micaiah, no, 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 he doesn't like me. He's always prophesying bad about me, always negative. Ah, let's, let's inquire of him. Micaiah comes out and says, if, if Jehoshaphat wasn't with you, I wouldn't even talk to you. And he went on to share with him. He shared how the sheep would be scattered of Israel and everything. And so he commanded that Micaiah be put in prison, locked up, fed with water and bread until he returned. Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord Yahweh has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. First Kings 22, 26-28. What was the standard? The word of God. That's the plumb line. I don't care how you say, thus saith the Lord. I don't care how sensational your testimony is. I don't care what. If it contradicts the word of God, you are a false prophet and a false teacher and a deceiver and deceived. This kind of message is not popular today. Thanks. That's what I came to church for? I hope so. Prophet Jeremiah was opposed to many, many of the false prophets. He said, and the Lord has sent, sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, Jeremiah 25, 4. 
Instead, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you made this people trust in lies. Jeremiah 28, 15. In lies. Listen to what he says. Here's the plumb line. Jeremiah 23, 28. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell the dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the shaft to the wheat? Says the Lord. Whoa. What's the plumb line? The shaft or the wheat? The wheat. The New Testament is equally clear on the matter of false prophets. The Spirit of God will always be scriptural, not the author of confusion, as 1 Corinthians 14, 13 tells us. There are many other lying spirits, spirits of error. First uh, John 4, 6 will tell us that have gone out. You've got a lot of demons. You've got a third of the angels that fell with, de- with Satan, right? Liars, all of them, rebels. They're manifested through false prophets and false teachers, self-will, sensual. Listen to Second Peter uh, 2, 1 through 3. He says, but there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. They're deceived. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth, opposed, contradicted. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber, so on and so forth. Second Peter 2 is key. Heresies. Between your heritage, chapter 1, and your hope in chapter 3, you got heretics in the middle. A lot of them. Now, Paul tells Timothy, now the Spirit expressly says, or clearly says, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Some will depart from the faith. Those aren't unbelievers. Those are believers. Non-believers don't depart. Believers depart. Are we clear on that? Paul tells Timothy, people with itchy ears will raise up teachers for false teaching. They love it. Second Timothy 4, 3-4. As I look to the church... Emergent church particularly. I look at the uh, Christian colleges, the universities, the seminaries. They've gone, gone full-blown heretical. Amazing. Paul tells Titus that a heretic is to be rejected after the second time. Being warped and self-condemned. Titus three ten through 11. So, the command was to test the spirit of Doctrine taught. Test the spirits. What's the source? Notice secondly, verse 2 and the first part of 3. The clear test of the spirit. In verse 2, the true test of the Holy Spirit is a matter of revelation. He says, by this you know the spirit of God. The knowledge of the spirit of God is known by being, listen, a child of God. The word, again, here is nosco, knowledge, by personal experience. Yet, a believer is to verify the Spirit of God by the Word of God as the source behind what is being taught. So what you're hearing, you're examining with an open Bible, verse by verse, in context, the grammar. How does it fit in this book? Does this contradict the rest of the Bible? You're doing all this kind of stuff. The standard is not feelings, emotions, or mystical gibberish. Well, I just feel. What do I care about your feelings? What does the Bible say? It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? The Spirit of God refers to the third person of the Holy Spirit, as you know. He's called the Spirit of Truth in um, John fourteen sixteen through 18. He testifies of Jesus, not himself, John fourteen twenty six. He guides, he reveals things to come in John sixteen thirteen and sixteen seven, and he glorifies Christ, not himself, in John sixteen fourteen. He's the third person of the Trinity, the silent witness of Jesus Christ. Wow, this is why Jesus said it was expedient that he go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. John sixteen seven. So the Father sent the Son, the Father and the Son. And the Son sent the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit is the silent witness of Jesus Christ. He never adds to the word. He never takes away from the word of God. He sheds light on the word. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Notice the believer has the Holy Spirit. He's talking to Christians. John, uh, or, or Paul, tells the Romans in uh, Romans eight fourteen to 15 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. This is a relationship. Before we were children of the devil. We walked in darkness. We did what we wanted to. Now we're under new management. We love the Lord. We know what he says very clearly. We know that he directs us in a, way, a new way. Um, we're sealed by the spirit of promise. It's called the earnest, the error bond, the engagement ring, the deposit in Ephesians 1.13 and 14 and Second Corinthians one twenty two, we have the Spirit of God. If we didn't have the Spirit of God, I'd be sleeping right now. I wouldn't have been here. I forgot to set my clock anyway. Good thing it was forward, not backwards. <laughs> God takes care of the, the, the old and the dumb. Um, the Holy Spirit. Notice the asset test of the Spirit of God regards the nature. Listen. Of the first coming of Jesus. He makes this the acid test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. No one can say there is uh, an exception. No one can say, well, I'm the exception. Well, there's something that cannot be judged. No, everybody must be judged and everything must be judged by the word of God. The phrase, by this you know, is in the imperative. This is the way you know. The only way you know. The word confess, again, homologos, it means to say the same thing. Any spirit that disagrees with the revelation of God's word, particularly here in the context of Jesus, is not of God. Now, the context is the first coming, but we're going to see anything about Jesus. If you deviate from what the Bible says about Jesus, you're a deceiver. And you're deceived. And you're deceiving people. You must agree 100% on what the Bible says about Jesus. Notice the agreed confession regarding the incarnation is the heart of the issue here. John has um, offered many tests, doctrinal tests, moral tests, and social tests, but this is the heart of the test. Jesus, as we have seen, is uh, the human name of the Messiah. Uh, given by Gabriel to Mary, which means Yahweh is salvation, affirming his humanity, a real human birth, a real human existence. You can follow us through the gospel. He ate, he thirsted, he hungered, he slept, he wept, he cried, he bled, he died. Christ is the title of God, the anointed, Christos, the anointed of God. It indicates his deity, the promised Messiah, the person with two natures. So you have the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, two natures. Yet he never did anything by, uh, by himself, but he did it by depending on the Father continuously. The word come there is the perfect tense. Not only does it mean that he inhabited a body of flesh, but it has become his permanent possession which the Gnostics denied, as we'll see. So when Jesus came, he inhabited a real human body. And when he left, he was glorified, and he sits at the right hand of the Father right now as the God-man in a glorified body. Do you understand that? Being man, he grabbed the whole of man's hand, sinners, the hand of God the Father, and he died, and his blood reconciled us to him if we believe what he said he did. Simple. Denial can be direct or mere misrepresentation of Christ. doesn't matter. The Vulgate says, quote, Every spirit that separates Jesus from the Christ is not of God. So, deity and humanity must be believed in. Both. You can't go one against the other. The Jewish testimony reveals they believe the Messiah to come would be the Son of God incarnate, according to the prophets. Let me show you the New Testament. In John 
It's Gospel 518. It says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. See, so they believed the Messiah would be God. They just didn't believe Jesus was the one. Okay? Many times people say, well, the Jews never believed that. Really? Have you read the Gospels? They crucified him because he said he was God. Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, deity, the son of God, his humanity. He said, yes, you'll see him coming in glory. Blasphemous. There's his clothes. What further need of evidence we need? They were expecting God to become man. They just didn't believe Jesus was the one. Matthew 27, 40 says, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourselves if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. You see? They believed it. They just didn't believe Jesus was the one. The testimony of Paul is no different. Um, in Romans chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, um, there he points out both the humanity and deity. In the opening, he says, um, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, son, humanity, Christ, deity, our Lord, who also was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh of the line of David, and declared to be the son of God, humanity, deity, with power, according to the scriptures of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It's all over. If you deviate from that, you're a deceiver and false prophet, false teacher. And you deceive people. A body you have prepared for me to do your will, O God. The bottom of the book is written of me, Hebrews 10.5. Absolutely. Now look at the beginning of verse 3. The failure to pass the acid test confirms the spirit to be a false spirit. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Very specific. The all-inclusiveness is marked again by the word every spirit. Emphatic. Every person saying they are speaking for God is subject to the acid test. That's why I love seeing you with your Bibles, your pens out, listening Examining, underlining, writing, checking out to see what's being said. Every person speaking can and must be judged if their spirit is from God. No one is the exception. No person speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus a curse, Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve three. Now notice the criteria is the same as the previous verse. The person who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Again, the word confess, homologial. It's the same as the previous. They say the same thing. The word come again is in the perfect tense. Not only that he inhabited a body of flesh, but that it has become his permanent possession. When he ascended up on high from the Mount of Olives, says, well, the angel said, why do you men stand here gazing up at the sky? The very same way he left, he's coming back. <laughs> With the same body. Same way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word. John 1, 1. Verse 14, the Word became flesh who beheld his glory. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God. Man. Philippians 2, 6. He didn't think of robbery to be equal with God. He came in the form of God. He didn't consider it robbery. Why? Because he was God. It's an antecedental condition there in Philippians 2.6. That means he was God before he came. He was God when he was here. And he's God when he's left. He became less than God, a man. But he couldn't become more than God. But he never ceased to be God. Wow. Do you believe that? If not, then you're a false teacher. He's not asking you to make sense to you. He's telling you to believe what he's revealed. You see, you're not smarter than God. 
People always say, well, you know, I'm real educated. I have, you listen, your problem is not intellectual. You're not that smart. Your problem is your heart. It's deceitfully wicked. Jeremiah 17, I says. That's the problem with man. He's the only mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 5. Hebrews 7, 24 through 25. He's ever making intercession for us. He ever lives to make that intercession. Thank God. Now notice the purpose of his coming was to be the propitiation for the entire world. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And therefore God poured out his wrath. And therefore justification comes only through Jesus Christ which makes peace with God in Romans 5.1 and 2. After we have peace with God now we're able to have the peace of God as we walk with him for the situations of life. He tasted death for every man and destroyed him who had the power of death. Hebrews 2, 9 and 14 tells us. Now, either he really did taste death and died for me or he didn't. Either he did it for the whole world or he didn't. But he didn't do it for the chosen frozen only. The world is the world. The world is those that are lost, which you and I have come out of. He died for the whole world. Paul put it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent for the son made of a woman under the law to redeem them who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. Again, 1 John is writing against the Gnostic heresies, heretics and heresy. Gnostics were not of God. Their name comes from the word in the Greek, gnosis. To know. This is the problem with man. He always thinks he's smart. He's always worshiping his intellect. He always thinks he can explain God away. He always thinks he's smarter than God. Knowledge was key to their religion. There were basically three groups at least. They were called the docetists. From docetists. From the word dokeo. Which means to seem. Or to appear and basically deny that Jesus had a human body. He said that when he walked on the sand, he didn't leave footprints. So it made him a spirit. Where do you get that from? Not from the scriptures. A subgroup believed he had a body, but denied that it was a material. So it wasn't like ours. So you're always going to have different twists when it comes to lives, right? There's only one truth. Many lies. All right? The Serinthian Gnostic declared that Jesus and Christ were distinct. Jesus was the ordinary man, the son of Joseph and Mary. And Christ was the spirit of the power of God that descended upon Jesus at his baptism and left him at the cross prior to his death. So who you have dying is a mere man. Not God. That's blasphemous. But do you realize there's doctrines just as blasphemous today being taught over the pulpits of America and thousands are following? The Serinthian Gnostics had a twisted theology. They believed that all matter was evil and spirit was good. Therefore, you could do whatever you want in the world. You can enjoy drinking and fornicating and whatever you want because that's just your body. But your spirit, you can worship God and they don't affect one another. Wow. Booming church. Booming religion. That's what I did as a Catholic. Only when I got in trouble. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios, you know, we're all over the place. Bring out the scapular, bring out the rosary, bring out the saints and everybody else. A believed knowledge was superior to faith. My Bible says faith is superior. Faith is always the revelation of God. Believing what God has said. Objective truth. Objective truth. Truth that never changes. Truth that never alters. Truth is true. From the first day to the last. They boasted a special revelation, gnosis, by climbing up these emanations and that 
God let these emanations out, and then one of them got so far from God that he was the one that created this evil world. That's why matter was evil and spirit was good and twisted, weird, you know? They believed that the world was created by one of these emanations, and therefore God was not responsible for the creation the way it is, but one of these evil emanations. Where, where do you get that? People lean to their own understanding. They think they're smart. God has a special place for university professors and hell. Guaranteed. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not being unscriptural. Jesus said it would be better for you to tie a stone mill around your neck than to lead one of these little children astray. These professors, exactly what they are, they professors, not possessors. Well, to them. Irenaeus, the second century church father, gave this in-depth analysis of why God was in Christ. Listen carefully. Second century, that's when the Gnosticism blew up. Okay? Irenaeus describes the work of Christ under various aspects. The premise is always the reality of the divinity and humanity of the Savior. Upon Only upon this basis could, be, could he furnish certain deliverance and deliver the particular race of man. Christ therefore became man in order to recapitulate the whole human race in himself. He embraces in himself the entire human race and all human life. When he became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated in himself the long line of men standing surety in compendium for our salvation. In other words, his death covers all who repent. So that what we lost in Adam, our being in the image and likeness of God, this we might receive in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Simple. In the days of Jesus, there were different views about Jesus. Do you know that? It's in your Bible. Let me give you some of them. Some believe Jesus was the son of Joseph. That's it. Not by the Holy Spirit. That Joseph was messing around with Mary. Okay? Jesus was uh, uh, believed to be an illegitimate child also. Jesus was from the devil. They said he has a devil in him. That Jesus was a teacher sent from God. Those were the few. That was right. That Jesus was a prophet. That was right, but more than a prophet. That Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. And Elisha, maybe. Wrong. So there were many opinions about Jesus in his own day. Should we find a surprise that there are just as many, if not more, today? The Jehovah Witness believe Jesus is a created angel. A heresy of Arius. He was um, a presbyter of Alexandria, 280 AD. He declared that Christ was the first uh, created being denying the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. In 321 A.D., Arius was excluded from the communion of the church. In 325 A.D., at the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius uh, prevailed over Arius. He and the two of his followers were banished to Illyria. In the teaching of Arius that denied the deity of Jesus Christ, professing that he was created and exalted, was condemned. At the Council of Constantinople in 381 A.D., the doctrine of the deity of Christ and the Trinity were confirmed and formulated into what is known as Nicene Creed. Today, we have similar groups embracing this heresy in Unitarianism. Jesus only. The oneness doctrine. Jehovah Witness. It's the same thing. The heresy of Arius. Still practiced and taught today. The Mormons equally fail to the acid test about Jesus. Mormons teach that Jesus was half is half-brother to Satan. Wow, that's a good one. Many regular Mormons don't, don't know this. Mormons teach that salvation is based upon believing in Jesus Christ and the, that's defined contrary to Scripture and the continuing membership in the Mormon Church of Latter-day Saints. Wrong. False. Today, one of the doctrines of the faith movement is that Jesus went down to hell to suffer at the hands of Satan 
and the payment was made to Satan, not God. Blasphemous. And that's recent. It's still here. Fred Price, Copeland, Hagen, out of the faith movement, they teach that. They believe that. Go on their websites. Blasphemous. The wrath of God fell on the Son from the, from the Father. The payment was to the Father. Sin was against the Father, not Satan. They teach we are little gods. That experience is equal to Scripture, and their teaching is inspired by the prophets. They say, thus say of the Lord. They're barking in the spirit, drunk in the spirit. Now the emergent church jumps on this, walking labyrinths, everything else. It's the next big stone of deception, the emergent church. It's progressive. We got Jim Jones, David Koresh, and there's so many out there. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy agrees the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Wow. The God-man. Colossians 1.16, He's the visible form of the invisible God. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, In Him you're complete, in Him dwells the fullness of Godhead bodily, the sum total of deity. Hebrews 1, 4, In Him is the full infulgence of the deity and the majesty of God. Wow. God-man. First John here, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, Ponros. He's not only evil, but he loves making people evil, and he gets off on it. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. People say, where does the Bible say Jesus God? This is just one of them. This is the true God and eternal life. Who? Jesus Christ. A different Jesus from the Scripture is another gospel. Paul says, let him be anathema. The strongest word, damnation, in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He says it twice. If we or an angel preach another gospel, let him be anathema. So you guys think I'm bad. You guys ever read Paul? You guys ever listen to Jesus? You guys ever read the prophets? I'm lightweight compared to them. We're to be good Bereans. Acts 17, 11. Examine to find out if those things are so. The clear test of the Spirit was based on the first coming of Jesus. God-man, 100% man, 100% God, to die for the sins of the world. Now notice thirdly here the confident identity of the Spirit. The rest of three. The corrupt spirit is of the Antichrist and must be a matter of proclamation. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. John is not talking about the person of the Antichrist that is coming in the future during the seven-year tribulation. Um, John is, as already mentioned, his coming of the Antichrist earlier. In uh, chapter 2, verse 18, John told them two things about the Antichrist. That it was the last hour, and that they had heard of the Antichrist coming. So, when John was writing, around 90, 95, in this epistle, it was the last hour, the age of grace. And he was coming in the future. The Old Testament confirms these two truths. Jeremiah reveals the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the seven-year tribulation for the Jew, for Israel. Daniel lays it out as the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel 9, 27. The 69 weeks have been fulfilled. Daniel 9, 24 to 26, verse 27 is the last seven years. Revelation chapter 6, down to 19. Last seven years. John is talking about the spirit of Antichrist at this point right here. He'll, he'll deal with the Antichrist later on. And he's already talked about some. But he's talking about the spirit now behind the message, behind the speaking, behind the teaching, behind the so-called prophecies. Notice the common understanding regarding the spirit of Antichrist was familiar knowledge to them. So they knew as Christians, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, John has already stated earlier regarding the spirit of Antichrist in chapter 2, verse 18. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Antiochus Epiphany, Nero, and others would come. By which we know that it is the last hour, he says. Hitler, Stalin, 
Saddam Hussein, and others. Spirit of Antichrist hate Christians, hate Christianity, Islam, Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist. They didn't behead Boy Scouts, they beheaded Christians. Okay? Let's make it real clear. John told them the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world. All who reject the scriptural view of Jesus, making him less than the testimony of scripture, is a spirit of Antichrist. If you do not believe Jesus is God who became man, glorified, after having atoned for the sins, you are listening to the spirit of Antichrist. You're part of the problem. Wow. The placing of the word already at the end of the final sentence makes it emphatic about the presence of the Antichrist spirit, even now. So the spirit of Antichrist has been working since John's day. And it's, it's going to culminate in the ultimate Antichrist. There are many movements. We don't have the time this morning to get into them, but... We did an in-depth study on all the movements and the history of Jesus and who they are and all that. I encourage you to get that. But John Dewey, this is well illustrated, that John Dewey was one of the most um, influential of all born in 1859 and died in 1952. One put it this way. Listen carefully, because he is tied with public school education. And I've told you often about the progressiveness of public education that began in the 1900s and went forward. Listen carefully. Quote, John Dewey became America's most influential humanistic educator. Uh, he refined James' um, pragmatic um, philosophy and combined it with uh, all of the previous humanistic movements and made them into his so-called progressive education, otherwise known as instrumentalism. Dewey's new brand of secular education became the instrument through which Western mankind was thoroughly humanized, humanism. By the beginning of the 20th century, Western man was confident in his abilities, quite independent of reliance on or assistance from any supernatural power to solve all of his problems and attain the goal of inevitable universal perfection. So, God was dropped. Evolution came alongside with it. Okay? All this progressivism. The Humanist Manifesto, too, was molded after John Dewey's humanism, humanistic uh, manifest of 1933, and it attacks God, the Bible, and any life of faith of Orthodox Christianity. Listen to just a few quotes, okay? And I am quoting. You can go on online and get this also. Promise of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. They should be condemned. They perform a disservice to the human species because they detract humans from present concerns, from self-actualization, new age, and from rectifying social injustices. So nothing new. It warned, that's what it did. The manifesto asserted in a hollow way that the good life is here and now. Indeed, reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that mankind possesses. I don't think so. Humanistic, humanism, evolution, progressivism. And we move from education to indoctrination. Look at our colleges. Free speech only counts for the liberals. If you disagree, you have to be silenced. The First Amendment is First Amendment. Number one, most important. Anybody can say anything. And you can't touch them. Wow. We're at the bottom, ladies and gentlemen. When that goes, everything goes. 
The bottom line is what you say and believe about Jesus, the ultimate result is that he is denying the Father. Because in 1 John 2, 21 through 23, and also John three thirty six, Jesus says, He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. And the wrath of God abides in him. You cannot get to the Father or have the Father without the Son. If you say you have the Father without the Son, you're a liar. You're a false teacher. If you say you have the Son through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, you've been born again by repentance and your life has been transformed, then you can say you have the Father. Absolutely. But without the Son, you have not the Father. And to say you have the Son, it comes through the way he said he came and he died and he left. You can't mess with it. You can't alter it. Jesus not only came in the flesh the first time by John. He says he is coming in the flesh the second time and is very stern about what is taught and believed about Jesus. Listen, Second John. Chapter 1, verse 7 through 11. There's only one chapter. Listen. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Remember the spirit. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not Circle this word. Does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Does not have God. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me. To abide in Christ is to abide in his doctrine. You can't say you abide in Christ if you don't abide in his doctrine. Christ and his doctrine are one. If you do not abide, you're departing from the faith. If there is no potential for deception, why write this epistle? Why write 3 John, 2 John? Colossians, Ephesians, Hebrews. Whoever transgresses does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Wow. Pretty stern. You think I'm bad. You ever read? Here, Second John. Those are heavy words. Jesus said false prophets are wolves in sheep clothing. Matthew 7, 15, chapter 24, verse 5, 4 through 5. Jesus said the first words out of his mouth, let no man deceive you. Matthew 24, 25 is Jewish ground. The Jews will be deceived by the Antichrist. Paul tells the Thessalonians to test all things in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-21. All things. They had been deceived in thinking the day of the Lord had come in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. So didn't I tell you these things? That can't happen until the Antichrist comes and falling away comes first? What's the matter with you? Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5-6. Not only the doctrine. Examine yourself too. Are you, are you one with the doctrine? Paul warns and prophesies about the deception of the elders and of Ephesus there in Acts 20, 28 through 30, that they would teach false teaching and they would perverse uh, and distort the word and draw men, uh, disciples to themselves as the Gnostics here. It is spiritual war and warfare against the principalities, powers, dominions of darkness, Ephesians six twelve, fallen angels. Liars, deceivers, opposers of the kingdom of God, and opposers to the children of God. Our protection is the word of God. The confession that every person has to agree with and confess is one Peter made of Caesarea Philippi. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Blessed thou art, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father in heaven. I say upon this rock, upon this gigantic truth, that I'm the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Not on Peter, God help us. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates don't fight. Demons do. Gates speak of authority. The authority of hell will not prevail against the authority of heaven. Are we clear on that? Because of God's word. 
This is the orthodox view of Jesus. The word orthodox is made up of two words. Ortho, which means right or correct, literally straight. You go to an orthodontic, uh, orthopedic um, surgeon, he's going to straighten your leg out. You go to or- orthodontist, he's going to straighten your teeth out. Okay? This is the word. And the word doxa, which means opinion. But opinion came to mean doctrine within time. Together, the words convey the right and correct truth about Jesus as opposed to the heretical heredoxy, which is contrary to the norm of Scripture. He is the God-man. Anybody who deviates from this is a deceiver. Whether he calls himself a prophet or a teacher or just a Christian. It doesn't really matter. The confident identity of the Spirit was familiar knowledge. They knew this. He's warning and reminding them about it. You got three groups in First John, as I told you. You got the Gnostics, the deceivers. You got the Christians who are resisting the deception. And you got Christians who are being deceived. Three groups, not just two. If they're not being deceived, he's wasting his time writing. If they cannot be deceived, what a joke. Why write it? You as a parent tell your child, don't go down Johnny's house. There's a reason why you're telling that to your son. Right? And when you say, oh, mom, I told you, you're not going. You get a little stronger. Because you hate your child? Because there's no possibility for him to get corrupted? No! Because there is. John has commanded the believer to examine the spirit of all teaching in order to confirm that it is the spirit of God. Characterized by the command to test the spirits of doctrine taught, the clear test of the spirit was based on the first coming of Jesus, and the confident identity of the spirit was familiar knowledge. They knew it. I really haven't told you anything you don't know. I've just told you one more time. Every time I come out here, I'm amazed that you've come. I always stick my head up. <gasps> Is there anybody there? In the beginning, I tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I tell you what I told you I was going to tell you. And when I get done, I, told you, I tell you that I told you what I told you I was going to tell you. That's all I do. So I have you hold me accountable. I tell you what I'm going to tell you. If I tell you something different, then I'm a liar. I tell you exactly what I'm going to tell you. Then I tell you what I told you I was going to tell you. Then I tell you that I told you what I, that I, was to, what I told you I was going to tell you. That's it. That's all I do every Sunday, every Thursday. I'm amazed you keep coming back. Lord, thank you for your loving goodness. We love you. We thank you for your persistency in pursuing us and warning us, wooing us and guiding us and protecting us, Lord. Let your word just be in the forefront of our mind and hearts to trust you and the word and nothing else, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet or the radio. Right where you sit, wherever you are in the world, if you're listening right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, and He can forgive you of all your sins and give you a brand new life by grace through faith because you believe what God has revealed about Him. If this is your decision, you can pray this prayer of repentance right now, and He's going to forgive you and make you His son or daughter by grace through faith. You can say this prayer to Jesus and he's going to do that right now in your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you made that decision? We want to give you a Bible absolutely free. My right, your left. He'll meet you by that door. You need prayer. You have questions. I'll be up here. But don't leave for the same way you came in. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead. 
Do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. But you must come to him first. Tonight, the movie will complement. You'll see exactly the shenanigans, the heresy, the false teaching that is going on inside the church. The latest. The most popular. The ones that some of your friends and maybe some of you even pick up some of their books. And I warn you and you still read them. You still and you, you don't judge it by the word. Come, check it out. Don't just believe me. Check the word. Let's stand. We'll close in worship. Oh, they're gone. Okay. Prayer questions up here. God bless.